Amen. Before we jump into the sermon today, I want to address what many of you are thinking about right now. You have probably have some concern that we have rented out West Elm for Pastor Chuck's family updates because his house is so beautiful and perfect. Now, you knew that Chuck had the most style on our staff, but what you didn't know is that before the whole pandemic, you still had to wear gloves and a mask to go in Pastor Chuck's house. He's got style, Shannon and Ryan. I'm, I'm looking every week to see if a book has been moved or a pillow has been moved. And so far, I think you're very consistent. And do you know how much confidence you have to have to tell jokes to an empty room? I just want you to know that. The other thing, let me say a couple of family things. Thanks for hanging in there with me. A couple of family things. One, if you are not getting our updates, we are sending all church updates on Wednesdays and Fridays. A written one from me on Wednesdays and then a video one from me on Fridays. Every day we've got some level of update. But I want to encourage you to please make sure you are checking our website or that you are signed up for our all-church newsletters. And if you're signed up and you're not getting them, then you need to maybe look at your spam folder or junk folder or something like that because it contains really important information. Some of you might be thinking, wow, um, there's just a few musicians today. And, and I address that on Sunday. And I want to, for a moment, address it real briefly again. It's been our decision that in this next season, in these next few weeks where uh, it looks like it's going to be very critical for more people to stay home, and as the, the death toll is predicted to increase, we've made a decision to not ask volunteers to come in and to serve. And so only essential staff are coming in to lead worship. And I want to assure you of this. The camera angle might show one thing, but we are safe as can be in here as best we can. Levi and our facility team, Kenzo and our AV team are disinfecting multiple times a day. Every time we do something, things are clean and sanitized. Our, our team is very distant from one another. This is one of those spaces that it's a good thing we have such a big room and a big stage. We're able to keep uh, some distance from one another. And I, I'm sure as you, as I do when I watch things on television and I recognize the mandates that are given and then when we see leaders not following them, uh, it's confusing. I want you to know we are, we're taking this very seriously. In fact, in our room right now, as our musicians go back down, they have masks on right now and gloves on. And so we are doing our best to take this incredibly seriously. Everything will be cleaned uh, before we come back for our prayer night on Wednesday. It'll be cleaned again and again and again. And in many ways, I believe that Lake Avenue Church, because no one's here, uh, is one of the cleanest and safest places that people can be. So I want to let you know we're not, we're not taking this lightly. Second, I also want you to be aware that uh, this is Holy Week. This has been said many times. And so you will hear at the end from Pastor Janine as to what those opportunities look like. But just real briefly, we've got things this week. We have our Wednesday night prayer gathering. That's happening. Uh, we have Monday, Thursday, and there's some new instructions of how you can do that in your homes and over technology. We will have a Good Friday service. We'll give you information how to access that. In fact, Pastor Greg will be bringing the message on Good Friday. I'm grateful for that. And then we will have Easter, and we will have Easter together. And yes, it will be different. Uh, but what's not different is the message of Easter and the message of resurrection. And if there was ever a time, if there was ever a time that the good news of the God who brings the dead to life, it is, it is fitting that it is Easter season. So I understand and recognize this just is so challenging and different, and it's especially hard uh, for us not to be physically together, but we are together through the power of the Spirit, 
And just as I would tell you if you were sitting in front of me, you are. This is not the week where you just consume, church. It's not all these things so that you have more things to do. This is a week in which you will share, invite, let people know where you'll be on Easter Sunday. Can you imagine what an invitation to church looks like in in this environment? I I think the opportunity for evangelism is, is stronger than ever. And so I pray that you would be able to, one, enjoy Uh, the presence of God through all the things we're doing this week, but also that you would find uh, the hope and courage and excitement to invite others to be a part of what God is doing here at Lake Avenue Church. Again, it's a great day to be together. You know, um, I've been thinking about why this season is so difficult. I mean, there's so many reasons. It's difficult because death is horrible. It's difficult because being stuck and isolated is not easy. But it's also horrible because it goes against some of the just core values of the culture you and I live in. Uh, One of those core values is that my personal choice, my personal freedom, these are incredibly high values for us in the United States. They're incredibly high values for us. And, and to think that we've arrived, that we're at a place of success or enlightenment or, or control when we get to call the shots in our own lives, that generally, I believe generally for most of us, we don't like being told what to do unless we're paying somebody to tell us what to do, right? If I, if I have a physical trainer or a, a, a workout coach that I'm paying to yell at me and to tell me how to exercise, then I will receive because I still had power in that because I made the choice to be told what to do. It's very difficult for many of us. It starts at childhood. Parents, you're getting this right now. It's in our home. It's hard when your kids, right, when your parents are telling you to do something and you don't want to do it. It just goes against our, our individualism. It goes against the values that say the more power, the more free choice, the more control that we make for ourselves, the better. We, we don't like when people take our choice or our freedom, our will, Our will, our individual will, is paramount. It's of the highest value in many ways in the culture we live in. And I think that's why this season is hard. Partly because we don't like being told what to do. And and we don't like being told what to do, and then it changes, and then it changes again, and then I can't keep up with this, and and it changes again, but I didn't have time to do this, and what about this? And, And it just is so exhausting at some level not just because it's more information, but it goes against the very fiber of how we map out our lives to be in control. In the past few weeks, what we've tried to do here in our worship times is to, is to not look at this season as to what's not being able to happen, but to look at this season as what the opportunity is in this season. And yes, control is one of these things we've got to learn to let go of in this season. But instead of waking up every day and thinking about all the things we can't do or all the things we're being told that we can't do, what does it look like for us in this season to cultivate something new, to cultivate something bigger in terms of our relationship with God? Truth be told, there's so many of us, right? Our relationship with God is dependent on us waking up, putting on a certain outfit, coming to 393 North Lake Avenue, singing a few songs, receiving a little bit, leaving, and that's how we have found the rhythm of intimacy with God, and now that's been disrupted. What do I do? How do I build my connection with Jesus when everything I've ever done has been, has been changed on me? And we've talked very specifically that, that Jesus speaks to this. 
Jesus speaks to the, to the reality that intimacy with God is something that is cultivated in secret and quiet and unseen spaces. And that maybe, just maybe, one of the gifts of this season for so many of us is to have forced upon us the, the unseen, quiet space where we can cultivate some intimacy with Jesus. And we've looked the last two weeks at the Lord's Prayer, slowly going through it, learning what it means to, to pray to God, to cultivate intimacy in the unseen secret place. And so in the first week, we talked about the name of God, calling on the name above all names and matching that with our daily bread, our daily need, and how beautifully these fit together. Uh, we, in week two, talked about the kingdom of God, and, and forgiveness and this reality of there's a kingdom on earth and there's a kingdom of, of God and, and that we're called to live in this kingdom of God and we can taste the kingdom of God on this earth, not in its completeness. And part of that way of living is one without brokenness. And so this daily need, not just for our need, but our daily need for our pardon to remember the forgiveness of Jesus and to extend that forgiveness to one another. And this week we'll close this part of the Lord's Prayer while we talk about the will of God and temptation. In fact, we've put a, a graphic that it might come up in a moment that kind of captures the way that we have uh, done this prayer, and, and we'll put it up, and then we're going to put it up on social media and push it out to you so that you can look at it and print it, but it's just a guide. It's a way for you to, to think through, praying the name of God, the kingdom of God, uh, the will of God, and then our daily need, and then the forgiveness, and then temptation. So that will be available for you to, to use in your own prayer times. Because will and temptation is this week. The will of God and the temptation of being human. This will go at the heart of who we are as individuals. This goes at the heart of that tendency and that value for us to drive our own choices in this world, to, to use our own wills. Because what we will see, we're going to see what it learns to not be guided by our own will, but to submit to God and to allow his will to be the highest value in this life. So would you please stand for the reading of God's word. We again are going to be in Matthew chapter 6. I think you'll agree, maybe you won't, you haven't said anything negative, uh, that it's nice to just sit in a, in a certain text for a few weeks and to allow it to penetrate us in a deep way. And maybe that's a rhythm we can continue to do in our own devotional lives. Matthew 6, chapter five, uh, verse 5 through 13. Jesus speaking, and when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep babbling like the pagans, for they think they'll be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask. And then this is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Two words today, will and temptation. God's will and human beings' temptation, our temptation, a collective temptation for all of us. 
When, when Jesus instructs us to say, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, what does that mean? What does it mean for you and I in our intimacy with God to pray to God and say, hey, God, your will be done? Uh, there's just a couple of ways. This is, again, a huge topic. If, if you were to, to get your uh, concordance and, and look at how many times God's will is spoken about in the Bible, it's significant. And so in this time that we're speaking together today, I want us to understand God's will in two very simple ways. There's the part of God's will of what we can know, and there's part of God's will of what we cannot know, what's known and what's unknown. So just for a moment, what can we know about God's will, especially in the context of the Sermon on the Mount? When we pray for God's will to be done on this earth, we are, in an essence, praying that the way that, that, the, that, that the people live, that we live, that the experience on earth is as God wills, as it will be in heaven for it to be done on earth. And very specifically, this speaks at one sense to the moral and ethical will of God in this world. Where do we find this way, this will of God? That's why we need our Bibles. We're going to talk for a moment about what we see in the Sermon on the Mount, what we can draw from what it means to, to follow God's will, for his will to be done based on the Sermon on the Mount. But the guide for God's will is found here in the Scriptures. We hold that at the highest level here at Lake Avenue Church. That it's in these scriptures that we can find what God's will is. And there are moments and there is plenty that we can know about God's will. Uh, so far in the Sermon on the Mount, we get a sense of what God wills for his creation to live and to be on this earth in the moral and ethical way. I mean, he's already talked in the Sermon on the Mount in chapter 5 about murder, about how we treat our enemies, about human sexuality, adultery, how we think about revenge, how we treat the poor, what we do with our money. He'll go on to teach, and we're going to get there in a couple of weeks about judgment. I mean, all of these teachings of Jesus are God's will, his way that he wants us, his people, to live on this earth because it will be like this in heaven, that kingdom conversation that there's a way of living in this earth that honors the way that God intends this earth to be. God has a will for us. He has a will for his people. He has a will for the way that you and I live in this world. So when we pray for your will to be done, God, in this world, what we are praying is for God's way and his rule and his reign to be true and more true in the world we live in. And in, in this context, I mean, we can pull all kinds of different, different moments in the Scripture where we can understand this way of living that God calls us to. It starts at the very beginning of the Bible, goes all the way through the end. But right here, in, in the Sermon on the Mount context, there's a moral and ethical reality to the way God, God's will to be done. So God has a will that we can know. We can know all, we, there's so much we can know about God's will as we understand His Word and we understand the Scripture. So when we pray, your will be done, what we are also recognizing is that there is a real struggle and a real battle. Why are we praying for God's will to be done? Because it's in tension with our will. We'll get to temptation in a moment. 
But we don't even have to get to that part of the prayer to recognize the, the, the need for us to pray for God's will to be done because you and I have a will all of our own. And oftentimes, my will and God's will stand in contrast to one another. That's the story of Adam and Eve in the Bible. That's what started all of this God created his creation to be in a perfect and beautiful and intimate relationship with him. And this is the way I want you to live. And Adam and Eve went on their own, chose their own will against God's will, and now we have sin in the world and we have tension. And that tension has been handed down to you and to me. So in the very bones of who we are as human beings, we have our own will, our own desires that oftentimes are in stark contrast to the way of living that God has called us to. I mean, why does Jesus have to speak about adultery? Because there's something in the fiber of some of us in our human, in our human, that we just want to be carnal and we just want to go after what makes us feel good. We don't like being told what to do from anybody, let alone God. But God has a will. He has a way, for he, a way he wants us to live in terms of our relationships with one another. Uh, my will really wants to gossip and to, and to speak poorly of people. And then the will of God says, no, 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 not, not any unwholesome talks come out of your mouth. And here's how I want you to view your enemies. And when you think you're going to go after revenge or you want to judge somebody, take care of the plank in your own eye. God has a way he wants us to see one another. And there's the way I want to see everybody else, the natural way for me. And we can go on and on and on with other ethical, moral issues. Our money, let's, let's get into that. There's things I want to do with my money. But God's will says it's my money. And here's how I want you to think about resources and money. There's a way of living. See, there is a struggle. There is a battle. And because that battle is real, there is a real need for us to pray for God's will to be done. Because God's way of living, what we know, the things we know, I'll get to a moment what we don't know. But the things we know that God has said, the things we can learn and see and understand from this scripture, there is a struggle to actually live it. And so we pray, your will be done is a way of recognizing there's a battle and for God's will to win. It's a battle that started in Genesis and it continues today. But there's also this aspect of God's will of things we don't quite know for a couple of reasons. One, it's hard to know God's will if we don't know the scriptures. This is where I think Christians, we get in trouble sometimes. See, we, we understand God's morals. We understand God's ethics. We understand his sense of right and wrong and what's appropriate. And we then assume that everybody else has come to the same understanding. They've read the scriptures. They've been taught. They've submitted to God. And so we look at the outside world of our faith who's not living this way with strong judgment and sometimes there is intentional living against, but, but we got to be careful there. Jesus is going to, in, in a, just a moment, talk about the plank in your own eye versus the speck in the other. I think it's definitely connected to this idea. So we got to be careful. When we talk about God's will, the hourness of the prayer is for the community of faith. It's for those who are following Jesus. And it's really hard for us to hold other people to follow the will of God if they don't know what the will of God is. And it's really hard for you to obey the will of God if you don't know what the will of God is. So when you pray for your will to be done, God, in this life, it's, 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 it's essentially saying I'm making a commitment to learn your will, to understand the scriptures, to understand your way of living. It's more than just a prayer for God to put his magic God dust to make it all easier it's a prayer of pledging. It's a prayer of commitment. 
Because there are things we don't know until we learn them. But there's also this other reality that God is God. And there are parts of God's will that although I may read them or I may understand them at an intellectual level, I may not fully grasp them. Which means this, there's going to be things and moments in our lives where God's will is about trust and obedience even when we don't get it. Even when it doesn't maybe make rational sense to us. Wait, wait, wait. God is doing this in this world? God is asking me to do this? I don't understand why. And it's in these moments of obeying God's will that we have to actually lean in and trust and obey. There's some mystery to following God. Yes, there's so much we can know from the Bible, so much we can know. But there's so much that this scripture also bursts forth in an unknowing kind of way. Some of the most refreshing followers of Jesus for me are, are many of you in the church who are in your 80s. And, and your common testimony was the more you walk with Jesus, the more you're comfortable with not knowing everything. And that's been my journey too. I'm getting more and more comfortable of not knowing. Not against the things we can know, but against understanding fully what God is doing in this world. Can I just tell you, I don't, I don't understand what all this is about. I mean, I have a lot of prayers for God, that there'd be a revival through this virus and, and all of this death, that, that there'd be a wave of, of faith that would sweep over this, this globe. I don't believe God's causing it for that reason, but I got to admit to you, I don't understand what's happening here. But I'm called and you're called in the midst of not understanding to trust and to obey. That we can trust and obey God's will even when we don't fully understand or know. There's mystery in this. So when we pray, your will be done, understand that what we are saying is it's a commitment first to learning his will, saying I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to study, I'm going to learn, I'm going to be in relationship, I'm going to have, I'm going to look at the scriptures more than when they tell me about them. Can I be honest, one of the concerns I have during this season is there are so many options for so many of you to have so many different pastors and leaders talk at you non-stop about what this Bible says. So you can finish church here today and then go to six other churches, and I love hearing other pastors too, but it's quite possible. It's quite possible that we could spend the majority of our time listening to another human being tell us what this Bible says rather than reading the Scripture ourselves and having a more intimate connection with the scripture. In contrast, if our dependency is on pastors and leaders telling us what the Bible says, man, we're missing out on something more dynamic, more beautiful, I believe. So when we pray for God's will to be done, it's a prayer that we would hold these scriptures in our hearts and we would commit to learning them. And then it's also a commitment to actually living out what we're learning. And in that way, this prayer is more than a prayer, it's a pledge. Your will be done. I'm pledging to read your, to understand more and more of your will, and for the things I don't understand, I'm learning how to trust and obey you even, even in that. And, and when I learn it, I'm actually going to live it, because you and I know there's a huge difference between knowing and actually doing. I know there is no nutritional benefit to eating a donut. I still eat donuts. Just because we know something doesn't mean we actually do anything about it. And it's the same with the scriptures. It's the same with following God. We may intellectually understand so many true things about God, and whether we actually put them into life and practice is a whole other story. And so when we pray, your will be done, it's a prayer, it's a pledge, it's a commitment to learning God's will and living God's will. 
But the other word for today is temptation. And I think you can already make the connections. You can already see what's happening here. When we pivot in the prayer and, and take this, uh, this petition, really, to the Lord to lead us not into temptation. What I love about this, just even the way it's written, can we just admit it's a little awkward? Lead us not into? We, we wouldn't write sentences like that. But not into, essentially, what I want us to, to understand is I think when we think about temptation, oftentimes we think about there's the really bad thing, right? There's the thing we're not supposed to do. And if we understand this prayer, it's like we're right on the cusp of being tempted to do that thing we're not supposed to do. And if we're really following God, we would just run away from the thing we're not supposed to do. We might keep looking at it, and we're going to get farther from it. See, when Jesus is saying, when he is saying, lead us not into temptation, he's saying, look somewhere else. Look towards God. It's what Pastor Chuck said on the video. It's not just about what you're not doing. It's an invitation towards righteousness. It's an invitation toward Jesus. It's not just an invitation to get away from the bad thing. It's an invitation to move toward the good thing, the real thing, the thing that matters, the thing that has depth. This is the worst illustration, but I'm going to give it anyway. I am married to a person, and my mother-in-law is probably watching. I love you, Becky. I'm married to someone who was raised on margarine. So when we first got married and Jenny would come back from the market, she would come with imperial margarine. Now, I was raised on butter, and I think you know which one's better. And it took me not long to actually convince Jenny that margarine is really just a cheap, horrible imitation of the real thing, which is butter. See, this is how I think about the promise of away from temptation, that oftentimes you and I, like the, the margarine's right here, and it looks good, and it's what we know, but we don't know something better is over here until we actually turn away from it to actually see the real thing. And until I brought really good Lando Lake salted butter into the Madisich home, we were buying Imperial. We were supporting a horrible industry and business. But see, we move away from the fake imitation. We can't see God unless we turn away to see the real thing. And I think when he says, lead us not into temptation, it's moving away not just from the, the cheap imitation, but towards the real thing, which is Jesus. When we pray, lead us not into temptation, we're asking the Lord to help us, to help us move from one to the real. Asking the Lord and realizing that we're not alone. I think that's another really bad understanding of temptation, that somehow if I'm in the bad thing, it's me in the bad thing, and God's nowhere near. God's right here, and he's like guiding us back. He's like, come here, come away toward me, towards intimacy. The context of this prayer, the context of this prayer, we need the Lord to provide for daily need, right, daily bread, and for daily victory, daily victory in God's will, which means you and I can actually daily pray for moral victory, for ethical victory. So yes, I have a will, and there's a whole bunch of stuff I want to do that is not in God's will. And I can, I can actually experience victory. I can pray and have a connection with God that moves me away from what I want to do to what God's way is. It's a daily prayer for moral victory. It's also a daily prayer, do you see it? For intimacy. It's a daily prayer for, for sincere faith. Remember the context? Remember how cheap this was? People were praying so that other human beings thought they were awesome? 
So they were using big words so they could impress one another and stand on the corners and look how spiritual I am. And Jesus is like rebuking that. And he goes, no, 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 come into the closet. Come into your house and pray this way. And it's in this way of praying we can experience intimacy. So it's not just a prayer to get away from the bad thing. It's a prayer to be with Jesus. Some of you have never experienced Jesus in that way. That you view Jesus as a parent that a, a really parent that's obsessed with behavior. So he sits outside or above and watches you with temptation and you just succumb over and over again and he waves his finger and yes, you know you'll be forgiven ultimately, but you don't know a Jesus that's right there with you saying, hey, turn with me towards, towards something else. You can actually have victory and you can actually have victory as you have intimacy with me. This is what it means to be led not into temptation. It's essentially trusting that God's view of better is better. As good and as much as I want, as much as this seems, it's trusting that God's view of better really is better. I don't know how many times I was convinced before I met my wife that that might be the one. I didn't have very many relationships, but I sure had a lot of thoughts about relationships. Where I'd be around a, a, a girl and I was convinced just based on how she was or how she, how she, what she looked like and what her, what her personality was and how, much, how strong her faith was, that this would be, this would be like a really great person. And I would tell God, God, make this person a part of your will, essentially. Make this work out. And, and I remember having heartache, and I remember having frustration, especially when I was 18, 19, 20 years old, going, when am I going to get that girlfriend? When is this ever going to work out? God, I've prayed for you to provide this for me. And it was only until, it was only until I had a real relationship with Jenny that I understood, like, all of those other ideas of what it could be was nothing compared to God's idea of better. Yes, I had ideas and temptations and th thoughts of what God would do here, but as Chuck said in that video, when God shows up, when he provides his better, you just know. Some of you are waiting for God's better right now in your life, and I'm asking you to hold on. There's some very real temptations that will tempt us away from trusting God's idea of better. And especially in this season, I think of three. If I just reflect on our week, I think there's a temptation of control in this season. We're trying to control our lives again, but the reality is there's so much we can't control. Everything's been thrown out the window in a sense. The freedom to go to the grocery store, the way we work, can I admit to you how I normally write a sermon? That's been thrown out the door and I've had to learn to give up control and to trust God. And to go, I know this is all going to get done, Lord. And yes, it's not. My perfect Tuesdays used to be like this, and my Wednesdays were this. You guys know this. Tuesday was staff. Wednesday was congregation. Thursday was creative. Friday was writing. All that's out the window. But I try, the more I try to control, the more I'm not trusting God. What about fear? The fear that, that, that we're going to die or that death will come to us. And it did come to, to us as a church family this week. The fear that if I, if, I, if I don't keep up to date with every piece of information that somehow I'm putting everybody, the fear, the, all of that in this season is so real. Another temptation in this season is to, to, to blame, to find somebody to be mad at. So whether it's the 
If you're a Republican, you don't like the governor of California. If you're a Democrat, you don't like the president of the United States. Or if you are just blaming people groups and nations. Or you, you drive around town and you see somebody breaking the rules and it's their fault. We just want to blame in this season because at least it, it, can, it can give us a place to deal with our anger and our frustration. We can fixate on someone or something. These are real temptations for us. What does it mean for Jesus to lead us not into temptation in this season? I think if we take seriously the will of God, I think what we will see is that we can move from control to release. That we can move from fear to trust. That we can move from blame to love. You know, on Thursday, it's Monday Thursday, and again, in God's impeccable timing of how he wants us to be in his word, you know that this prayer of lead us not into temptation, this prayer of your will be done, was the very prayer that sits in that Thursday night before Jesus was crucified when he was at the Garden of Gethsemane. Let me read for you just briefly from Matthew 26. Verse 36, when Jesus was with his then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to, sor to be sorrowful and troubled. And then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed. Listen to this, his prayer to his father. My father, if it's possible... May this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch for an hour with me, asked them? Listen to this. Watch and pray so you'll not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it is possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. We're going to be in that text more on Thursday night, but of all of the lines in the Lord's Prayer, this is the, this is the one where we can find Jesus actually praying himself. Not my will, Lord, but your will be done. When he says, let this cup pass from me, that's his way of saying, if I don't, I don't want to die. But God, I don't, under, I don't want to do this, but if it's your will, I'm going to trust. I'm going to obey. What I find so amazing, if you continue the narrative, is even as upset as Jesus gets with his disciples and says, hey, would you pray for your own temptation here? Hang with me. He still loves them even though they fall asleep on him. He still loves them even though they betray him. Tim Keller says something very helpful about this episode and how it can relate to our own prayer life when we pray for God's will to be done. And I want you to hear it and close with this. Tim Keller says, when we look at the, the prayer of Jesus here in the garden, what we see is that it's, it can be really healthy to scream. It can be really healthy to scream and yell and then say, thy will be done. But it, after you scream, it actually could be quite restful to say, thy will be done as well. Jesus gives us a model that sometimes our prayers of saying, thy will be done, come in the midst of agony and screaming and where we want a different reality to come. 
and that we have permission in the Bible and we have permission in the life of Jesus to scream and yell before we say, thy will be done. And that's healthy. But Jesus also shows us that it can be quite restful. It can be quite freeing that after we're done screaming, to take a breath and to go, thy will be done. Father, we need your help to not just pray these words, but to live them. I pray for those who are listening right now who need to have a scream and a yell with you. Oh, that they would, but at the end of that session, they would, they would say to you, but not my will, but your will be done. And I pray, God, that as we pray that prayer today and this week, that as healthy as it is to scream sometimes that prayer, that we would find the beauty and rest and peace of trusting that you and your will are moving among us in ways we can know, but oftentimes in ways we cannot know. And lead us away from a life that doesn't trust that your better is better. Lead us towards victory. Lead us towards intimacy. This Holy Week, in the name of Jesus, amen.